1: Our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. Welcome to Rivet Radio. I'm Edward Hertzman, the president of Sourcing Journal and Rivet. Today, we're speaking with Sarah Ahmed, the founder of Warp & Weff, the direct-to-consumer denim brand. Sarah, thank you for speaking with us today.
0: Thank you so much, Eddie, for having me.
1: Of course, of course. You launched Warp & Weft as a size-inclusive, direct-to-consumer brand in 2017. Two ideas that have become major buzzwords in the denim and and fashion industry in, in general. Why did you see this as an opportunity? Was there an aha moment that made you say, hey, we need to do this now?
0: Well, Eddie, you know, I think that all of us who ever went jean shopping um, always went to the store, wore the jeans, and there was always something wrong with them. And I think that's ridiculous. Something that you put on on your body every single day, something that is an essential, something that is part of your core uniform, should A, not be expensive. Two, should fit you right out of the box or right, you know, when you get it in the store and you would all need to get a tailor. And three, should be sustainable. And what I wanted to do was create a brand that was had mass appeal, that had all the you know the the aesthetic and the style of premium and luxury, but was made in the best possible way. And I think a lot my history in premium, you know, my family are we're denim manufacturers. We you know we have another brand, and all these learnings made me see very point blank that there was a huge opportunity for a a mass, direct-to-consumer, inclusive, and sustainable denim brand.
1: So I-, I couldn't agree with you more when it comes to price, but, but how do you keep a premium-quality jean under
0: $100? Well, the key is vertical integration, right? Like, And I think now, more than anything, people are understanding supply chain they're understanding the importance of sustainability they're, they're going deeper in what that means um and especially with this whole pandemic going on people are learning more about the whole supply chain more than ever and with us uh, we have everything from spinning to final finished garment on one unit which gives us this unique which gave us a unique advantage before in terms of price and being able to track our product from start to, from soup to nuts but now gives us an in like an increasingly sort of bigger advantage because now we are able in this new landscape where there's this huge disruption globally in how things are getting made, where are they coming from? Like there's so many hands that changed and we are able, you know, we create everything on one unit, which, you know, reduces the cost, but also increases the innovation. So with us, in our mill, we are we innovate from fiber to finished garment, and we're able to say an average pair of jeans uses 1,500 gallons of water per jean. Ours uses less than 10. Our jeans use, use less than one kilowatt of energy, which is crazy because we have a solar power. On we are, we are powered by solar. We have water treatment plant. All of these things add up to not only savings for the customer, but also beneficial for the environment.
1: You know, I think you made a, a very interesting point you know, a lot of these brands that have emerged over the past few years really were marketing games or marketing strategies, you know, invest heavy on the consumer acquisition costs. Um, We'll figure out the operations later. Um, You guys kind of have, you know, strengths in all of those departments, owning various brands under the portfolio, owning factories, owning mills. And I think that to your point, um, when uh, all the shakeout of COVID uh, is over, I think it's only those that understand the supply chain, understand operations, understand logistics, um, understand consumer preferences are really going to be able to survive. Because what we're seeing is that's what's really separating the winners from the losers um, uh, more so than ever now. So um, I think you guys are really in a, a very unique position moving forward.
0: Thank you so much, Eddie. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, you know, for the past couple of years, um, it was very concerning to me that so many of these millennial direct-to-consumer brands were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to agencies and for just design and aesthetic. And everyone was like, let's figure out the product quality, the supply chain. All of it was later. People were raising tens of millions of dollars and it was going to waste, like you you have brands, D2C brands that are like, they, you know, they're millions of dollars on like uh, plastering posters on sides of streets that is temporary, but there was no investment in actual infrastructure. And that really is now showing. And you, I was so worried when all these D2C brands were hiring like crazy, creating false expectations and false jobs for a lot of the people in their 20s and 30s and now all of that's going to crumble because also before covid there were a lot of d2c brands that you know you hear more and more stories about how they didn't create sustainable infrastructure and with us we didn't want to pay hundreds of, hundreds of 100,000 dollars for a branding agency that would be able to you know that that would make us look like every other d2c brand we wanted to create the best possible product and i think that you know that was you know, our priority was different. We weren't the sexiest person in the room for a very long time. We didn't look all shiny and you know, like uh, like Helvetica all yeah, at all. But we were building a product that actually sold. And in two years, like the numbers prove it, right? In two years, we all, we sold something like seven hundred thousand pairs of jeans, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried with. Uh, I agree with. Do, and I'm worried for a lot of these companies. Um, I I think that you know they were trading off of you know hopes of one day converting customers into profitable customers. And I'm not quite sure what the VC environment's going to look like. You know how they're going to continue to raise money. Um, a lot of them ventured into brick and mortar, which I do want to talk to you about in in a, in a couple minutes. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I think unfortunately um, of all the industries to get hit, the, the fashion industry is going to be. Um, one of the hardest hit industries. We were we were on rocky, you know, ground before COVID. You know, the bankruptcies kept every year was another. 2018 was more uh, record bankruptcies. 2019, so I think 2020 uh, is going to be scary. But I think you guys are are well positioned. Um, you know, and I want to talk about something else because another big problem with DTC uh, brands that that we often don't hear about is the massive return rates. Um, and, and you have uh, said to me in just you know offline conversations that you guys have managed to keep your return rates very low. Um, so so that is not the, the that is not the norm. What steps do you have in place to ensure consistent fit? And are there tools that customers can use to 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 accurately find their fit when they go to your site? You know how are you keeping that that return rate so low?
0: you know eddie it's, i love that you asked me this question because it's the question that i am the most proud to answer firstly vcs right like when you're talking about when you are when you are when you speak to a vc as a young brand and when you're on this sort of radar um, they all call you and they are so quick to quantify the customer in terms of numbers and acquisition costs and this but they don't really know the customer and they don't care to know the customer. All these big brands and, you know, like young CEOs got seduced by all the money and they didn't realize that they were sort of selling their company to someone who really didn't understand their customer. And if you don't understand your customer, you cannot create relevant product. And for us, it was customer was number one. Understanding the customer, we're testing the customer and we every fit of ours. And we've had some that do better than others and and it's so crazy. The ones that do better than others are the ones that have been fit tested through our actual process that we've put in place. First, we fit test everything on zero to 24 mannequins, modeled, and then real people. And that is that sequence we do not compromise on. Every time we have compromised on it and cut a corner, we have received a higher return rate. For our core styles, actually a return rate is less than 10%. Because when you fit enough people, when you understand also how a fabric moves, how a fit works, how it moves on the body and what, you know, when you look in the mirror and you understand, you talk to someone or what they're going through when they put the jeans on, you learn to intuitively design and you cannot, and a VC can never understand that. So we had all these opportunities where all these people would call me and all the, you know, all the ones, the D2C stars that are now having like dominoes or companies fall. And I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say that, but I was more out of concern because they spoke to me. And I'm very lucky that I had this backbone, that I had this sort of context to understand sort of fashion from not a sexy point of view, but from from a really like nitty gritty, like production, manufacturing point of view. And, and, and it was they 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 speak to you like you're a persona. Like for them, I was a very digestible version of a minority CEO immigrant living in the United States, doing something as American as denim. And I think that I saw through that and it was just like, no, this is not going to be my reality and this is not something that i can build a company on this is not something that i can hire a staff a team on long term this is not something that is going to create value for my customers and so it it really was a and that's how it's all linked to how we create the product that actually resonates with the customer
1: no i think uh I think your intuition was very correct. I think it was correct, and I I, and I think it's going to prove to be even more correct as as as, as the months progress. So you know, being a, a digitally native brand, obviously you you must be collecting a lot of data, which actually helps you probably when it comes to fit and what else, whatnot. But um, are there any surprising insights that you that you have kind of learned from some from from seeing your uh, customer purchases? and does that make you rethink how you design or how you approach the, the the business in general
0: so yes i you know that's so interesting we had a call about this i guess call now meeting like call yesterday about this because we constantly as we are self fashion fashion's role is to be functional and aspirational and like finding the fine line is really the the key And we, you know, data does help and data obviously helps with your core products. But in order, our design aesthetic and our way that we want to service the customer is that if you see something and because we're size inclusive and because we represent everyone, everybody and everybody, when you see a picture of a celebrity wearing a new fit and you really want to try it, but you feel so like you feel like it's not for you. We like to make those. We like to give, create the trust within our customer, and introduce those new fits in a way that it is, where they it is digest not only digestible, where they want to buy it, where they want to wear it, and they are not scared to take it out of the box and put it out and run into the mirror and see what they look like. And it sounds so crazy that this is what we were doing till recently. That women and men were scared to put things on because they didn't want to look at themselves in the mirror. People, I spoke to people all the time, they're like, jean shopping is as bad as swimsuit shopping. And and it's that was bizarre to me because you wear more jeans than swimsuits on a daily basis. So for us to really find the balance about, you know, data does help, but also we need to be able to create that relationship with our customers that they trust us on the core essentials they trust that you know they're not going to have that anxiety when they put on our jeans and then when we introduce fashion because at the end of the day like you see something online or you see something on Instagram and you want to wear it and you should and you should have a brand that is representi- re- representative of both your taste of your taste level of your aspirational taste level and for your functional needs
1: mm-hmm. so You know, I mentioned this just, you know, uh, a few minutes ago, but I want to dive deeper into this. A lot of DTC companies have opened their brick and mortar locations. Um, Have you weighed the options, uh, you know, the pros and cons of opening a Warp and Weft store or showroom? Uh, So
0: this is, this is the thing you, you open a store and it's sort of it's still an antiquated way to do things. I think that if our goal is to really create an online experience that like supersedes a store need, I think that opening a store is a quick way to get like eyeballs But I don't necessarily think that is the way to push the online shopping experience further. There are so many innovative things that people can do and spend money to do in really understanding. So when you go on our site, you can actually almost feel the product, see the product move, see it on different body types. And that costs a lot of money. And the amount of money that we could put in the store, we probably spend doing our shoots and our things online. And I feel that in the long term, that is what's going to pay off. And having a store that sort of, if I were to ever do a physical experience, it would not be a store, it would be an educational experience where people can come in and learn, not come in and have a transaction and leave. I want people to really understand where their things are coming from and who is making them and how they're being made and the thought process and the technology that goes into it, because that's going to ultimately improve your experience and it's going to make you appreciate things more i think we live in such a fleeting culture and such a transactional culture you buy something you throw it out the next day you rent something you would stop it is creating this like this feeling of it's it's robbing us of like this like content feeling that all of us can have and i think that's super wrong
1: what do you think about, I mean, obviously people right now are probably panicking over over any physical location, but what do you think about the brands that have, have, have tried, you know, Bonobos was really, I think the first brand to embrace this very much the showroom concept of you're not going to have any inventory in there because you need such a big, uh, you know, um, uh, footprint, yeah. but, you know, we'll have it, we'll, we'll allow people to come in, they'll try it on, they'll, they'll work with, you know, almost like a stylist, if you will. Um, that way you're able to reduce returns maybe people will find fits they'll find washes they'll find other products that they wouldn't normally have have even thought about purchasing online do you think that's a sustainable model moving forward i think
0: for it's different so for men and women it's very different i think for women women love if you create an amazing logistical experience the way net-a-porter has where your things come the same day easy returns easy you know easy easy sales all of that then women prefer trying things on at home. That's just the truth. We have our face mask on. We have like oil in our hair. Like we we really don't feel the need to go to the store and like strip our clothes off. However, when men, men like experience, men like to be sort of, they love the service. They love the, t- because it comes from that thing of like tailoring and, you know, bespoke services and men are more used to that. However, the millennial man or the Gen Z man much prefers online. They want to buy things based off of like a, a bigger ethos. They want to buy things based off the principles that they're aligned with. They want to buy things that fit and they are buying less. Like Gen Z buys less, but they buy purposefully. And I don't think that for me to create a brand or think about a brand for a customer that's a bit older is not as interesting than a customer that's a bit younger and is thinking about things a bit differently that you know the way I think about things, where it has to be efficient, it has to be you know sustainable. It, and I don't know if that customer is going in and cares for service, that customer cares if the product that they're wearing is killing the environment or you know is being delivered to them in the most efficient way possible. So I think the priorities have changed, but I would love to do a educational experiential thing because I really do think that people really don't understand that their favorite things come are made by people who don't look like you or from the same religion as you the same skin color as you but they're your favorite things and it's really worth understanding how those things were made and that's you know if anything is going to promote sort of this global understanding and empathy for each other and a respect
1: no i think that's that's uh, very well said very well said um so another obviously uh, means of distribution, if it's not you know uh, direct to consumer and it's not you know brick and mortar, is wholesale. Um, is it something that you've considered, um, and, and why or why not?
0: So I think wholesale is excellent, actually. I'm one of the, so instead of creating my own brick and mortar stores, why wouldn't I take an opportunity to be in someone's box or have the brand be represented in the Nordstrom floor or Urban Outfitters? Or, you know, I think that that is an amazing opportunity to take what is already there and give it new life like give these brands an opportunity to resonate with a newer customer, with a younger customer and also be aligned with the bigger macro trends in the market. And I think that that's something that, you know, I don't want our brand to represent it as a rack with other genes. Again, the experiential educational component is key. Like you need the brand to be represented in a way where it really spotlights not only the product, but it spotlights the story and the core principles of that product because that's what makes products really stand out is that not only do they look amazing on your body and you feel amazing in them but they are made using the best possible practices and the best possible intentions and understanding that only increases your increases your um what is it? Like it increases, like you you resonate more with the customer. And at the end of the day, people want sales and that's what it is. That's what it takes to make a sale these days.
1: No, I agree with you. So, so let's pivot the conversation for a moment and let's talk about sustainability. Obviously big word it's used by a lot of people. It's a big buzzword right now. I I'm, I'm starting to get a little frustrated with it because I think that sustainability without traceability and transparency is, 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 is a, little bit, um, a little bit of a facade. Some, some companies are using it to just kind of like cause market or greenwash their way into the conversation. You guys obviously being completely vertical, control the, the water usage, control the energy usage. So Sustainability for, for you and your brands is probably very different than the average brand that's, that's relying on third-party manufacturing. But I'd like to get your take. How do you approach it and what does it mean to you?
0: You know, Eddie, you probably actually, your Rolodex has every major and minor player in manufacturing in the world. Like you, you can call anyone up in any field, whether it's denim or, or, you know, and beyond. And you, like, you know, everyone and you know that all the manufacturers and the suppliers are, there's, are frustrated with all the greenwashing. You know that there's a new fashion designer every day that says, okay, one button is sustainable and they put a sustainable tag. And we all as an industry roll our eyes. And I think that needs to stop, right? Like, And I think that the more brands that are doing it right, and there are a lot of brands that are doing it right, give more access to the customer to see behind the scenes of how their products are being made. I think Everlane does a fantastic job. I think Reformation does a fantastic job and i think that these brands are the ones that are also resonating in terms of style and sustainability with the customer and the more visuals you have out there that kind of bear all the more the other brands will be whittled out like no no customer you know a customer is going to see everything very flatly and they're going to make the choice where the one that they know more about and i think that the brands that are depending on third party suppliers they really they they need to do their homework. They need to not just be like, "Oh my God, I want to make a fashion brand today because I have this point of view. No, I want to create something that's actually going to add to the product matrix and add a in like a unique perspective because what was happening was every influencer with above a hundred thousand dollars was trying to shop a deal to make a fashion brand why what gives what what gives them the perspective or the influence to do so it makes no sense people need to create go back to creating products because they want to and it's an actual need to not just because they want to make a quick buck and it's going to become increasingly difficult now in this new landscape as well because there's just not enough fake money and inflated money to go around
1: you know, it's it's interesting you say it, and and, and it's very difficult for me because I, I I I play this fine line, right? You know, so you know, having having sources, you know, having rivet, it's a great platform. Uh, to your point, it's it's. I joke that I become a retail therapist these these, these past few weeks. I I've I've had a uh, billion dollar entities all the way down to the small mom and pop players call me trying to get my perspective on, on what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I wish I had a, a, a more bullish outlook into the future, but I, I agree with you. It's, it's very difficult having, having not only traveled to the majority of, of these countries and as you know, I've, I've been to countries like Pakistan and Bangladesh and Vietnam, you know, multiple times. I do get very frustrated, um, by some of the, the, claims that people are making and i get even more frustrated by brands that make claims and they haven't even taken the time to understand how to trace things you know they're not going back to the to the fields to ensure that they have transaction certificates for for the cotton or the recycled polyester or whatever it may be you know they 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 just rely on you know their agent or they rely on their factory and and I don't think they have malintent I don't think they're trying to cheat anyone but they don't have a strong understanding of how things really work and to your point anyone could put a label on something today and claim something and until the industry has some governing body or some you know we have some pre competitive collaboration where we all get into a room and say hey we're going to agree on this we're all going to we're all going to play by this let's compete in the aisles let's compete on the you know on the on the screen or or, you know metaphorically speaking but we have to agree on some metrics or it's just going to become you know chaos because everyone's going to claim various things and i think it's it's very frustrating to people like yourself who've invested a lot of money uh in in, in building an infrastructure that is sustainable and sustainable is not a definitive term right It's, it's 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 an evolving process you have to constantly be um, upgrading your facilities or how do I become more sustainable, right? So I think that's another thing is it someone could have really be focusing on water, but really not focusing on CO2 emissions. Or someone could be focusing on chemicals, but maybe not on X or Y. So I- I'm sure it has to be very frustrating to be in your position on a day-to-day.
0: Firstly, Eddie, thank you so much. And it's it's not frustrating, actually, because um, firstly, what you were saying about the governing body and playing like leveling the playing field and being like okay now that this the baseline has been set now let's compete is something that everyone needs to get together and discuss because it's not about who can manipulate the customer more into convincing that you are more sustainable it's really now become serious about actually having a responsibility to our planet like and i think that social that's a whole different conversation but social responsibility is something that is truly lacking in the in our culture and it comes from this transactional culture, fleeting, you know, you just throw away. And I hope COVID teaches people one thing, that do not overspend, do not overbuy, conserve, use what you have, learn how to stay in place. And I see a lot of people cracking at the seams with these concepts. They just cannot understand. And I think that it's kind of it's not sad. It's just a reality. And it's going, and the world, it's, we're all self-correcting. But as far as the frustration, I actually, you know, Eddie, like, you know, I, you've seen, you've come to Pakistan so many times and you know, and you've seen us and you know us and you know other people that, you know, you know, in other parts of the world that sort of share the same values. We are long-term people. We know that, yes, there will be a short-term younger, cooler, louder voice that is going to talk about whatever sustainability, but we know that sustainability is an ongoing process. It's a, it's a humbling process. And those who say they have the answer have no clue what they are talking about. Because as you said, you can't just think about CO2 emissions and not think about water or think about the the fibers. You have to think about everything and, and, and having that holistic picture and, really delivering a product that is sustainable on all the major points, takes time, infrastructure, money, and vision. And not many people have that. And I'm very, I actually don't stress about it because I really don't think that people have that. And the people who do are going to be long-term players. I am in a very lucky position that we are, you know, not only around. I come from a family that's so dedicated to it, but I'm also around so many people in the in in the retail, you know, in the in sort of the uh, B 2 C space, and it's. It's that are on the same page and we're constantly challenging each other. But if you live in a fool's paradise, if you're only around people like VCs and investors who are going to make you feel like, you know, uh, invincible one day and break you down another, that's not a way to actually create brands that matter. And so it, it really I don't know if I answered your question, but the way I the way I think about it is you have to think long term and usually the market corrects itself.
1: No, it it definitely does. And I mean, we're seeing it correct right now. And on that topic, um, and, and, I, and I hate to bring it up, but I think you have to bring it up, is how is the coronavirus outbreak impacting your manufacturing? And, and has it made you take a closer look into any parts of your supply chain? Uh,
0: you know, yes, because it's so interesting. Um, so the ports, even if we have product that we wanted to make, the ports are closed, right? Like, and it's, And it's kind of, you know, although Pakistan was, you know, not as affected as other parts of the world in terms of manufacturing, it it really makes you think about different avenues that you can do, you know, that you can take that are not just product related. So, you know, education is one of them looking at looking, you know, taking a step and seeing, are we doing it, it this efficiently? Why do we need to make so much product? What can we do with our excess inventory that already exists overseas? And I think finding sort of those ways to and, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy when you start looking at that, you see how much inventory you really have, what you can do with you, what is already made. That, and already in the states, and you know, working around that and working with vendors and customers, and explaining that story. And I think that, at the end of the day, like reduces the problem to begin with, where there's too much product. So I think that our strategy is make less. People are going to buy less, and that's okay. Nobody needs to be selling so much. We don't we're adding to the problem. And I think that, you know, business people are like, what is this girl on? But it's the truth. Find different avenues for income, do different things, maybe live a smaller life. Like, that's okay. People are very scared of that. But it's okay. It's okay to do different things that are not necessary. Like, and for me, I think it personally, like, it, we had a conversation with our team. We're like, listen, we wanted to focus anyway on representing. Humans, all humans, all bodies, and telling their stories and focusing more on the human spirit. And, and now let's use this year as an opportunity to sell less and send less marketing emails and more emails that celebrate people. So we really like, took this as a huge positive.
1: No, I think that's smart. You got to make the best of, of the opportunity. Uh, the best of the situation, and there are opportunities. I hate to use that word, but um, we all can't put our, our head in the sand and, and wait for it to pass. We have to figure out how to how to how to use this moment in time to reassess our businesses and how to connect with our customers. And those that are creative and think outside the box will will come out of this successful. To your point, those that were already on the on the brink won't, and those that are just waiting for the next check from from. Whether it's a VC, their investor, or or a bank, um, probably weren't financially secure beforehand, and, and probably won't make it uh, afterwards anyway. So um, I, I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be very interesting. Luckily for us, we're gonna have plenty to, to write about. I just wish it was uh, more positive topics. So last question. I know I've taken plenty of your time right now. Um, what's closing thoughts? You know, what's next for Warp and Weft in twenty twenty?
0: Uh, you know, it, actually, what's next for us is really not that different than what we had planned anyway for 2020, which was really focus on our customers, learn from our customers. And we're starting this amazing new initiative where people can tell us we can create a gene, like we crowdsource a gene where we ask people what they want to see from us. And we really take the time to hear because we're so stuck in seasonal businesses and delivering and the, the, the just the noise of everyday life that we were really, even as a brand dedicated to hearing our customers, I really didn't think we were doing a 10 out of 10 job actually hearing them. So now for the next few months, at least, we want to hear them. We want to hear what they want to see from us. They want to, we want to see. We want them to poke holes in our business. They want we want them to challenge us because that's the only way that we're going to ride the storm and come out sort of victorious.
1: I think that's great, and listen, we, we're we're happy to have you. We we love we love what you're doing, and I hope you come back on during more positive times. And we could talk about you know the aftermath and all of this, and to see how um, you know your takes on. Uh, life i call it acbc <laughs> Love what, it. Uh, what what uh, what ac will look like and 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 how the industry is shaping up but sarah it's been a pleasure i always enjoy thank talking you eddie you.
0: likewise um, please,
1: please stay safe and healthy send, send send my regards to your family and your team and, and um, thank um you. let's let's talk again very soon